Manor. Hello, welcome to Tip Manor Podcast. It's episode 10 of the season and Carl Robinson has left Oxford United. So we're going to spend a majority of the pod reflecting on his tenure with the club before thinking about where we go from here. Uh, we'll also preview Lincoln uh, next weekend and look at the fixtures coming up between now and the end of the season. Uh, who have we got on the pod? You got me, James. We got John. Hello, John. Hello, James. Spicy Jack. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> you can't be spicy today, surely. This is a. Uh, it's not morning, but it's a. Uh, yeah. It's not spicy. But this is a reflective pod, isn't it? I'll let, let let's let not Jack a pod react. Of spice. Let's let him react in a natural way to how he's feeling. Hi, James. You're all right. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, Jack. Uh. Before we get into all things Carl Robinson and the latest run of fixtures and everything else, just wanted to touch on a couple of bits of news because otherwise they'll just get drifted off in you know into fifty minutes in or something. But um, let's start with the youth team. Um, so incredible, they're breaking records, Jack, aren't they? So wasn't it the first time they got to the what was it, the fourth or fifth round? Yeah, fifth fifth round, and then they waltz through past Leeds comfortably by all accounts. And John, did you see what Gatlin O'Donka looks like when he's in a youth team? Yeah. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Absolute monster. Um, he's sort of, yeah, he definitely feels like he's in sort of like a the world in between the under-18s and the first team. Exactly, he yeah. just He just looks like an absolute unit and, you know, he's almost just holding players off like a rugby, like a rugby hold-off. Um, and just, yeah, clearly above that level. Um but it's great just to see this stuff just happening. Yeah, absolutely. And there was nearly 800 people at the at the Kassam to watch that victory against Leeds. So we're playing Man City under-18s at their... It's kind of at their academy stadium, I think, isn't it? It's on the 7th of March. Uh, tickets are available until 5pm on Monday the 6th. Um, so you've got over a week to get them. Um, three quid for adults. Very reasonable and free for season ticket holders as well. So get your tickets, They're get down coaches there. and stuff as well. It's, it's yeah, go like loads of. I think quite a few people we know are thinking of heading across. I'm keen if I can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean that that's going to be one of the biggest tests they could possibly ask for. But amazing, and it's great for the club. It's good to have that positivity there, and I think a lot of the fans have kind of latched on, as you say, John, to to get involved and give them some support. Um, a couple of other bits, captaincy situation, Jack. So it was pre, um, if we just played Bristol Rovers <laughs> and it was just in the pre-match build up on, uh, Radio Oxford, where they kind of announced the team news alongside Elliot Moore stepping down and Cambran and Schlong, Sam Long stepping up kind of together in collaboration. What initial kind of thoughts on that at the time? And then on reflection now. Um, it seemed kind of from nowhere, but I think Elliot Moore's got various bits going on off on off the pitch, and if if he's stepped up and said, "I don't think I can give this, you know, my full, um, you know, proper effort at it," then 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 fair enough. Um, I think if you were looking for two other players in the squad who most fans would have said could be captain material, it would be those two. Um, I think they're both quite shouty on the pitch anyway. Not that a captain necessarily yeah. has to be shouty, but they, they've they got the leader in them. So, you know, if if the change is happening, those two 
makes sense. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see what it does to Sam Long. Like Sam Long's obviously been at the club for how long? Nine years, ten years, or something longer. Well, I was given a three year the other day, which is sort of feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> I, it's just, it's just he can at least go reflect on lots of different periods with the club when he's chatting in the dressing room and everything else and then obviously Cambran brings that kind of passion as you saw kind of after the after the Bristol Rovers game um so you know I think it's I think it's a reasonable reasonable move um I think we need that leadership don't we as well going into the next few games given obviously the the news today um and then before we get on to the KR stuff um did you guys hear the the 20 minute fans forum with tim tim williams beyond obviously the reflection on the management situation was there anything else you you took from that i think well it's probably easy to say it now but i did detect there was a slight change in his way of answering some of the questions in terms of um managerial future compared to when he was on was it a month ago um i detected a little bit less uh, I'm not going to say the word arrogance, but I think he sounded a lot, a lot more real to the situation than perhaps he did a month ago, where it was perhaps a little bit pulling the wool over his own eyes. Um, and obviously, you know, actions since then and and this morning have shown that you know yeah. they are fully aware of where we're at now, and hopefully this can be a bit of a spring forward. I, I liked how he was, he was kind of pushing back on some of the sort of repeated criticisms that he felt he kind of talked to a bit. And I, I don't mind that. I think it's important that, you know, they do stand stand firm as a sort of senior management team, as long as it's not. And this is where I was, parts of some of his answers were a little bit aloof and it was a little bit like, don't just dig your heels in for the sake of it. But he knows that to a degree, there was just lots of people effectively baying for blood. And he's yeah. he's not he's not just going to go and you know throw someone under a bus or just be particularly real. He, he has to sort of protect and do all that stuff. So, given where the situation he was in, you know, I'm sure many people would have pulled out of that as well. So, yeah, absolutely. He seems very professional and he's a very good speaker. So I felt like he dealt with it pretty well. Um, it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say next time he's on. I guess depending on what news what news we'll have um so when the news broke this morning about carl robinson departing the club i guess jack initial reactions before we get into the detail um i've written three words down when i was thinking about it earlier and they are relief sadness and reflection um i think relief because well obviously bristol rovers was horrendous but we were both at cambridge james and we kind of stood there at the end of the game just kind of not really sure what to say, what to think, where yeah. to go from there. And, it, you know, it was clear that a, another bad result was just another nail in the coffin and, you know, more fans uh, turning against the manager. Obviously sad because we've had, and we're going to go on to talk about many of them, I'm sure, you know, it's ultimately, although it's ended pretty badly, the majority of his time at the club has been pretty good to be an Oxford United fan. And then... You know, off the back of that, you then reflect on what we have seen over five years, and you know it's it's more good than bad, really. And you know, the, for me, ultimately, it's a shame that it's had to end the way it has. But yeah. often, there's not many managers who go out of a club 
um, in kind of a, a good way. It's often through a sacking or they leave for a club that you think they shouldn't be leaving for. So um, ultimately the right decision, but you know, still tinge of a little bit of sadness, I think, because of what we have seen. Yeah, and we'll reflect on some of the, not just lows of recent games, but some of the highs as well before we wrap up the pod today. Um, and I, I agree with what you're saying about Cambridge and we, we were obviously at Burton as well and the Burton game it felt like there was real kind of anger and rage and lots of kind of emotion being poured into the you know the sounds from the terraces whereas at Cambridge people just couldn't be asked um, and that was the difference I felt and why I just felt like you know to your point a bit of relief this morning because that disengagement that kind of gallows humor where the only songs that are coming out are to take the piss out of ourselves that sep self-deprecating stuff um is exhausting i think um and yeah i think jack we had a guy next to us at cambridge didn't we he was absolutely pissed off his face and um, <laughs> was just blasting out every now and then he would just sing some stuff about we've got the ball whatever and then he would start singing Carl Robinson's Yellow Army and then people around him would be having a go but he was all done in like jest and it was just um, yeah it was very difficult anyway John what about yourself yeah just, just quite strange really I mean it is after you get these sort of high profile resignations or sackings in different walks of life there's always this sort of calm after it where you're like you've got what you wanted but it doesn't quite feel like you're at, it's what you really wanted um so i mean i'm not saying i absolutely wanted him to go and i'm not getting any sort of sackers remorse or anything like that but I, I keep coming back to this sort of this was absolutely the right decision this season's been an absolute shocker and it's sad and it's the point about the fact it's imploded so quickly that we then tinged with all these feelings of like, oh, well, actually, do you remember that? Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. well, it's been pretty good, as you talked about. Um, now, I absolutely, if this recent implosion hadn't happened, I would still always be saying, end of the season. If we bumbled through to the end of the season, I'd have still been saying, we need to, it's time for him to go. It's time for him to move on. Um, so it's just a little bit of mixed feelings about the fact that all the underlying things have come to the fore, plus the performances. Yeah, that shouldn't wipe out a lot of the things that have come before it that are actually, when you think about it, quite phenomenal for a manager of a football club to do and to show. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not sort of conflicted. I'm just a bit sort of keep. I feel like I need to remind myself why I wanted him to go so much at the moment. But in a few days' time, I'll be like, yeah, glad we got that, and actually start to get annoyed that we didn't do it three games ago. I think by the end of this pod, you'll you'll be in that place. Yeah. Well, so. Um. With the last time we did a pod, I think it was post Barnsley. So we played Shrewsbury at home. And I think even at the time, a bunch of us were saying that has to be the win. You know, that needs to be the result. But I think of all the games we've had recently, that was potentially our best performance, albeit Shrewsbury scored with kind of 15, 20 left and then saw out the game. But, you know, we're a bit unlucky there. We then went to MK, um, won all were t- really crap I felt for 60 65 minutes and then obviously after bait got the goal we really came into the to the match and MK just kind of collapsed and we really we could have definitely won that I think Carl Joseph and Wildshot had good chances late on um so at least we had a point stop the stop the rot a little bit Plymouth at home this was a bit of a weird one again wasn't it it was a kind of decent performance and then 
it was just a bit more predictable the way so it Shrewsbury kind of... and Plymouth were kind of the games we've seen a quite a lot this season where I think I even wrote in my notes looking back at Shrewsbury it was the most enjoyable Oxford game I'd watched in a while because yeah. parts of the performance were actually a notably step up and there's you know we don't need to talk about these games in, in detail but lots of there were lots of nice bits in uh including uh McGuane playing a bit a lot further forward and <laughs> having an impact mm-hmm. um but the problem is as we touched on already the Burton Cambridge I to I didn't well I didn't see a lot of MK but it sounded like it was an absolute horror show at times until the last 20 minutes so well, they were they were on such a crap run as well, weren't they? And then we and how many they'd lost like ten games at home and just had a terrible record. And then they looked like Brazil for at least the first half type thing. And they should have, I think, because we haven't reflected on it. This was one where I think um, <laughs> the BBC Oxford guys touched on it. I remember Ben Perkis talking about it because KR came out afterwards and said, you know, we we actually played pretty well and limited chances Eastwood didn't have to do much but the first half they should have scored three or four and it was one of them where the fans really reacted badly to that because they were saying do you think we're stupid like we're watching the same games yeah. we can see the chances being created we can see we're getting away with that was in that times. was in the KR box of what are you on about post-match response yeah. whereas the other box we have seen more recently on a few times where it's like yeah you're not massively wrong on that you're obviously spinning a few things because it's kind of your job but it wasn't you know you weren't too far off yeah and then obviously Cambridge Jack we were there uh, they they got a goal within the first 10 minutes and we just didn't really have an answer we saw the lineup come out didn't we and it was what was it <laughs> we were just we saw it and we were like wow he's he's gone for it is in this is kind of a last legs just throw everything at it and try something different and ex- see if we get a result but it looked like it was desperation in a in a sense well it was i think i described it as it's like he just thrown darts at players on the wall and if it landed on them they play um i think we switched from a back four to a back five back to a back four numerous times in that first half and in all uh, honesty we didn't look like scoring that was just bizarre like the moment you saw it on the team sheet murphy like, sorry at wing back wing back yeah. so yeah i mean just utterly weird um and i just don't against a team like cambridge who look like absolute machines who obviously in a bad bad season but clearly drilled into that system and we decided just to try and match them up on a whim it just seemed like and, a recipe for disaster and let's not forget cambridge Similar to MK, who are on a terrible run of form. I think Cambridge had won two games since September. Maybe I'm chatting crap. They'd yeah, won was, one in was, 14 or something. Yeah, they, they hadn't, before they played us, they hadn't won since Boxing Day. And before that, it was October. So it was, yeah. It yeah, was like two games mental. in however many months. And then we rock up. And, and then they've lost both games since. Well, that, that's it. And I kept, I keep noticing that against teams that we struggle against or lose against as well, which is another bad, bad sign. I remember saying on, um, wasn't it the game afterwards, like, if we can't beat Cambridge, who can we beat? It's just yeah. that, it's just that simple or words to that effect. And that's what I came away from that game thinking. Yeah. You kept getting sound clipped on your wasn't it the game stuff um, <laughs> in a few different places about your point around he just KR's just not getting a tune out of any of the players no matter what combination of them he chooses to 
kind of put on yeah. the pitch. But. Well, it's just to come back to this thing, and there's a lot of semantics in this about losing the dressing room. Like, I don't think the players, KR was able of getting the right tune out of the players anymore, but I don't think they all sort of had down tools on him and thought he was a joke. Well, you often hear about squads where a manager comes in and the players are like, no, not having this, not having this guy. Yeah. And, just, and that's losing the dressing room. So they obviously probably had start to go, well, we can't see where this gets turned around. But yeah, it was, um, I just, yeah, that was clearly became the point where the Cambridge and the Bristol Rovers was just, it wasn't, well, it was shocking. I didn't think we were going to lose 3-0 at home. No. Did it? Did any of you manage to follow that game particularly closely? I was listening, but I couldn't. I could I couldn't be. I couldn't dare to do the VPN. I don't know. Um, but yeah, here we are. I think that that was nail in the coffin. At Bristol Rovers, another side struggling, and then that was what one point in twenty four, whatever it is, and um, was absolutely expecting that news today. I just didn't think it could possibly... I know I've said that <laughs> post-Shrewsbury, post-Cambridge, but I, I felt there was no no way it wasn't going to happen. Um, but you kind of look... We will reflect on some of the positives, but let's just get through the kind of situation we're in first. Um, but we, we've scored on average 1.06 goals a match. I'd love to compare that to the last two or three years. I wish I should, I should have spent the time doing that, but... Yeah, it's not great. Um, our top scorer is Carl. Well, Cam Brown on eight, but when you look at the rest of the people in that column, there's there's not enough people you'd expect to be there, right? And ultimately, we talked a lot about creativity and attacking ability and what's coming out from midfield and everything else. But yeah, what what are some of the things that you guys feel are the biggest? You know things that have un, un, what's the word, taken away, what was previously good about about Oxford over the last two or three years. I think, well, and actually this point probably existed for a while, but has been masked by our ability to score goals. Is that the midfield without a quote Huddleston Rotter close quote. <laughs> is incredibly easy to bypass. And Bristol Rovers yesterday were doing it with ease at times. You know, one ball and they were through on the back four. And you can't you can't compete enough in games if that's happening five, six, seven times every half. Um, and then this year, actually, in terms of attacking output, it doesn't actually look like we know what we're trying to do when we've got the ball. We've, we, we've got kind of wingers on the pitch, but Wildchut's one of those kind of dribbly wingers that kind of bundles through and may or may not get a, you know, a cross away. And actually, we'd, we'd, our crossing's woeful. There's not many options in the box. So all the all the good things from an attacking point of view just, for whatever reason, almost vanished this year. Um, the wingers yeah. we have, it feels like their first objective is to not get the sort of ball that Matty Taylor would thrive on into the box. That's one of the things that I think is different to say a White or a Holland or a Sykes or, you know, they're very individualistic sort of players that have got a point to prove because they've, you know, like Marcus Brown, they've had big injuries or or Wildshot, they've they've had a big reputation before. Murphy's the kind of the same, even though I think we just need to put him in a box and just kind of park talking about Murphy to a degree. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's a massive problem. And I think the midfield is everything because I think it's, it's been shown this season, KR, and we all do, we love our technical midfielders that should be, you know, can do wonderful things. But countless times this season, I've thought every time Bate, McGuane or Brannigan gets the ball, they all want to take a touch. They all want to have a look. They all want to see what they can do with that. None of them can take a touch and just simply move the ball straight on and kind of keep the tempo moving. This season, tempo has been a massive problem. Yeah. Um, balls in the right areas, massive issue. But there must have been some stats shared at some point about good chances created, like when we write at the bottom of that. I forget where I saw it, but it was something around... It's not just XG, it's the actual kind of quality of the chances that are made. Like, we were right down there. Um, I, don't, I don't think... I think KR at times, certainly some of the earlier half of the season, he wasn't far wrong where we did play reasonably well and didn't put chances away. And basically, it falls in the column of wasn't actually his fault, that result. It's the players weren't doing what footballers should be able to do, which is put X chance away that wasn't unreasonable for said player yeah. to score. But when that continually happens, that comes back to the management. The other thing that, and Jack, you were kind of getting there with the the defence and the lack of rotter, but five, circa five clean sheets in 50 games, it sounds absolutely ludicrous, doesn't it? Like how how is any club that wants to be challenging for promotion going to ride on that? And we, it was kind of a bit of a miracle last season. We scored what 80 odd, 82 goals in the league. I think it was last season. Um, you're not going to do that every year, are you? Like we would, that was nearly our football league record type thing, which meant that we could see out all the three twos and four threes and or whatever, but you can't, that can't work as a foundation to build on as a successful team. Can it? No, and when, when you look at those clean sheets that we have had, the few we have had in those 50 games, I think at least one of them was in the pizza trophy as well. So, you you know, you're down to four, basically four clean sheets in over a year in the league, which is just, you know, just a recipe for disaster um, in, in any, you know, any, any situation. And when you stop scoring, it's, it's the double whammy. And But we seem this season to actually at the start of it make a marked shift in saying we we kind of need to stop the three twos we actually and so for the first i remember the first sort of 10 games everyone was kind of like oh actually we're we're not as expansive going forward but actually but we're not sort of conceding as many goals at the back yeah. so you know that's a, probably a good thing that we've sort of thought about it but it does come down to obviously that's when you don't keep the clean sheets and don't score, then we end up where we are. I think there was was it the Ipswich away game on Boxing Day when we lost three 0 Was something like the first game we'd lost in x many number of years by three clear goals, which you know when you look at it now is kind of a a, a lie in the sand. Kind of is that where everything really went downhill this season? Albeit we won the game immediately afterwards against Charlton, but realistically that Ipswich game felt you know, kind of, I'd argue terminal for our promotion aspect because we were just completely done by a far better side and we'd not yeah. really had that for the last few years. Yeah. And there, there, there's other things just around 
things that stand out beyond the clean sheets and uh, you know only winning 14 out of the last 50 games which is like less than 30 percent win percentage again for a team that's striving for promotion that's not not good enough but um no back-to-back home wins at all this season I don't think when I was scanning through that seems again just not not where it needs to be especially after recent years and then only two instances of actual back-to-back wins going when you go through the whole season as well um just to get on to some of the squad type stuff do you do you think the I guess John the Murphy and Wildshut type situation play eventually did play out and didn't help KR at all because he you know earlier on in the season was saying just wait until those guys are back and then judge us and then it it just created this thing didn't it because we were still struggling form was still patchy they came back it heaps all the pressure on them and then we were still not creating chances and everything else for me it was one of the things that why I sort of started to really move away from KR about sort of eight, 10 games into the season because I've always struggled with the kind of the injury excuse type of thing. For me, it's that's when a manager comes into their own to make it work and get through a bit. I, I completely agree that your bench will not be as strong yeah, as it could be when you have injuries. I, I can absolutely kind of concede that. Um, but that for me, yeah, it didn't, didn't happen. Um, wild shot, I think, is a bit of a, we may never know, or it may be next season until we really see what he can kind of offer. I think Murphy is, you know, there's an inquest that, you know, probably multiple people need to hold their hands up for about that, about that signing. Um, yeah. But KR clearly, you know, as he, as he said in the, I think it was a Telegraph article for the, for the Arsenal game, you know, he, he bigged him up and said he was the one he wants to build the entire team around. Well, clearly that's not sustainable because Murphy has to be micromanaged every single game. How can you build a team around a player that isn't effectively a guarantee or to be on the pitch? Build a team around Cameron Brannigan because he basically plays every game. For example, yeah. for example. So that was yeah. that was the thing that I never got. And Jack, I think it was in one of the WhatsApp chats. Um but do you do you see this as a collection of individuals rather than a squad and that tying into that, a lack of kind of style, identity, tactics, and everything else around it. Yeah, and I think this season, the recruitment or, or that phrase, a collection of individuals, rather sums up the recruitment. You've ended up with a, a Josh Murphy, who by all accounts was a risk due to this kind of micromanaging, as John said. You've you've brought a wild shut in who, yes, he was good a few years ago in League One and on paper looks a great signing, but let's be honest, he's been playing in Bulgaria, so you think that's odd. You sign a, a Javan Anderson from Lazio, who you have to have some kind of weird thing to make sure he gets his work permit. Like the, These signings were all very disjointed and it was a you know a, a noticeable change from the, the model, the plan, whatever you want to call it, in previous seasons. And alongside that, that we've said numerous times this year, certain gaps weren't filled. The left-back situation wasn't sorted to the extent that we had Seddon, who'd been exactly, binned off yeah. last season, suddenly starting games again. Um, we Again, keep touching on it. We never really sorted the Gorin position. You know, there's, there's so many areas in this squad where you go, not enough choice there, not enough depth there. That was an odd signing. He's always injured. And when you start combining all those things, the multiplier, 
multiplier effect is just huge. And, and I think the bait thing, which I think you've, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier in the season, Jack, when we talked about this. I think bait came up, and KR and others were like, "Wow, we could get him. That's brilliant," and that distracted from the need to have other cover options that we're talking about. I think there's a reason McGuane's not played the last five or six games because he's probably absolutely knackered and things like that. So it's getting distracted by the sexy the sexy winger or the whatever that sort of meant your whole strategy is not kind of aligned and you're not able to go, oh, well, X has come up. Don't, don't doesn't matter because we're doing this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think we even said it following the Derby game, if you'd have said on day one of pre-season to Carl Robinson, you'll start the derby game with Steve Seddon as your left-back and Marcus McGuane to play in defensive mid, people would have laughed because they were like, oh, surely the recruitment won't go that badly that we're having to change a McGuane into a sort of DM and then play a left-back that we didn't rate good enough last year. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, and James, you've, you've, I think you were one of the first people to sort of start dicing each section of the team up. And actually, it really comes to light when, when you do that, how bad each part is. That, that's that's what I was going to get onto. I know we've done this in a pod, either the last pod or the one before, but that is the turning point this season, I think. And it's that we've gone, KR's come in, we've had this model of developing young players and he's bought into that and he's actually done a really good job for the club in the most part, hasn't he? We've had Dickie, Atkinson, McNally, Sykes, Shandon, put Fosu in there maybe I know it's not quite the same but players that have come in been developed done a good job made the club a lot of money and we've kind of you know succession planning sustainability and everything else going forward it was it's been great but this season it has it's just completely gone all over the shot where that model seems to has kind of dissolved the goalkeeping situation we've talked about before Stevens going out reverting back to Eastwood who Two, three years ago, we would have said you expected his time at Oxford to be done. I still think he will do a job as a squad player, you know, like as someone to have around. So I don't think that lengthy contract's a bad thing if he's committed to the club. McGinty, KR referred to as a, a loon um, <laughs> pre-Arsenal. Pre so we still don't really know what to expect there. The defence, as Jack's just said, fullbacks all over the place, the, chasing Findlay for three or four years and then getting him and then dropping him after he has his best performance away at, what was it, Chef Wednesday, wasn't it? Um, and then the midfield, generally just under... I know Brannigan's notched eight goals, but he still hasn't had the oh, dominating way, performances. Way off this, this season. Um, yeah. I and think be- McGuane is the only one that gets... And McGuane was fantastic early on in the season. But right, we were still losing. We might have been losing games, but he was sort of... I remember we were all purring about him. And I hope he continue. I hope he gets the right support with whoever comes in to to continue that development because there's definitely Absolutely, a player yeah. And and Bait Jack, he's he's one that we, I remember on multiple pods we were saying can't quite work out who he is or what he's doing. But then to be fair to him, he's obviously come into his own with more minutes and has looked like one of our best players but again he's not our player and he's not going to have a career at Oxford so that, like... and that's what I was just about to say that's going to be the frustration thing that he's going to walk out the door in May and he'll I don't know either go into a lead side that's been relegated out of the Premier League or he'll get a championship loan you would think and 
that next move for him, that that next club will gain from the last 15, 20 games we've seen out of him. Um, It's a shame that he's kind of had to be the shining light amongst the ineptness around him. Um, But yeah, ultimately, this upturn in his performances isn't going to benefit us. Yeah, and then, and then you get onto the attack to finish it off. Um, we've talked about Murphy and Wildshot, obviously, um, being definitely kind of seeming more more to be individuals on high salaries and not as invested in what's going on on the pitch. And obviously then just injury records and everything else comes into it. Taylor getting loaned out, not getting any service whatsoever. Um, Marcus Brown, I think a lot of people could have predicted it would end up a bit like this, but that's another very, very frustrating one. I, I, I could, based on, I suppose, not a lot. I definitely think there's something in the Brown. He, he was pushed back into the team on quite a few occasions where he probably shouldn't have been. Now, at times, you probably need to do that. And he can do things that, you know, can win you a game. He hasn't, for me, knitted together consistent passages of play that many times at all when he's been in the team but I just feel something's gone been badly handled with Taylor as well you know there's there's got I know it's all rumours but there's continual stuff around falling out with players and Taylor not not sort of understanding where he was going and moving forward I, I think that's, that's I think you worded it well last time we did a pod in that it probably worked out for Taylor to go and get some game time, try and rediscover some form and then get his next move type thing. Um, but yeah. I, I think don't... With, sorry, the annoyance for me with the, the attack is how much, well, money and reliance we put by re-signing Baldock and then basically breaking him the first game of pre-season. All season, a lot of fans have said, wouldn't it be great if we could get Taylor and Baldock on the same pitch again? Didn't they look really good together last season? Obviously, the point that that became a possibility, one of them leaves leaves the club. And you could have probably scripted that Baldock would break down again after a couple of games, which appears to have happened yesterday. So, And you're yeah. about to come on to O'Doncourt. We're in the position where we're having to throw this young lad in, in a, you know, situation that no one was expecting us to be in, hoping praying that he comes up with something and you know there's, there's something there clearly but it's asking a lot of him to come and be the savior as john said earlier on i think he's he's definitely he's definitely kind of too good for the youth setup but not quite i don't think ready for men's football and needs that experience and i guess to to get that under his belt before he's getting playing consistent games and having that pressure and and coming into a team it. that's that's struggling i mean it's like, yeah. it's like Canate. It's pretty unrealistic to ask a player like of that age to come into a team that's completely low on confidence. I'm not saying they can only perform when everyone else is around them, but it's just unrealistic to ask them to do an awful lot. And they don't care. You know, he's grown on me a bit, but I still, yeah, there's still a lot to, to come. Um, and I know everyone listening, I know how incredibly negative all of this is. <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on some positive stuff in a second, but... That that part of looking at where the squad is at now, um, and considering players as kind of assets to a degree, um, it's quite alarming, isn't it? When you look at the contracted players that are in that squad, 
And then you think about short, medium term, and then ultimately longer term, where we need to get to. When you look at the contracted players, who do you think from the, from the list should be in the starting eleven next season? There's still obviously a few games to see the season out. Let, maybe not starting eleven. Who do you think should still be dotted around the squad as kind of priorities for next season? I mean, if, if you if you park sort of formation stuff in terms of you don't know what the new manager will want to play and you need to sign players around that. Um, for me, Long's got to be around. More Findlay, don't have a problem with it at this level. McGuane, Brannigan, Henry is useful to have around. Bowden, I know he's had an awful season, but at this level, there's something there played in the right way. Um, Brown and Wildshut and Goodrum. I don't have a yeah. problem with any of those. Um, that's why I kind of the point I've made a few times. I've always, and this is another thing for me is there's enough there in the squad to put together a, a decent League One team. Um, you know, if you sign two decent fullbacks, a centre, a midfielder that's a bit of an all rounder, a decent striker, another winger, you're not that far away from base what's written there. So Jack, how do you th- how many players do you think we're away from a starting eleven type thing for next season? Do you think it's a case of like, to John's point, is it a case of some of those players will be better if you surround them with better players? <laughs> you know, like Bowden, for example. You can imagine if there's someone on his wavelength in an attacking sense, then he's going to be far more effective. We've kind of seen that before, haven't we? Um, yeah, I think I think John's right. We know that. The- the players that are in the building are not bad players by any stretch of the imagination. But this particular combination of these types of players, I don't think Carl Robinson actually knew how to bring them together, in what style, in what formation, who you have been starting, who you're bringing off the bench. And in this squad this year, there are very few partnerships Mm. It's all, yeah, it's a good point. and a lot, a lot, a lot comes back to chopping and changing. But really, the front three, whoever you've played there, never really looked like they've met each other before. The centre back pairings changed two or three times. The full backs are different. Yeah. You know, long, longs played all across the back four. That being said, and the probably the underlying point here is, a lot of these players have not played anywhere near their potential. Does a change of manager give them a, you know, a a reignition of life or um, are they in that spell of their career where they're, they're dipping for whatever reason and they're not actually as good as perhaps their earlier career suggested they would be. I think the performance at Lincoln will say an awful lot about where that dressing room was. Mm-hmm. And we've had interviews saying, no, he's not lost a dressing room or people say, no, yes, he has. Actually, come Saturday, that performance, the manager's gone now all these players effectively are playing for their futures because a new manager will be, whoever that may be, will be looking at how they are from now. Kind of what's happened this season is now gone. Yeah. I still don't buy that he didn't lose the dressing room to an extent because there was no intent. You know, James Henry after Cambridge, his interview was very frank and it was very much like, we can't wait to get going like we need to start games with intensity and start games on the front foot and he was a player that came off the bench type thing so you can imagine yeah like if players were really playing for their manager who was you know at risk of getting sacked 
um, they would be going at it straight away. And I know confidence is a thing that feeds into that, but confidence doesn't mean you, you shouldn't put yourself about absolutely everywhere and get your fans behind you. Because there, there was none of that. And we, we've seen that in countless repeated games. And I think that's the thing that the fans struggle with. There was nothing, and that's what brings on the gallows humour, there was nothing to get behind, even if you wanted to try for a bit. It was just, you're just waiting for the inevitable to play out every week. Um, anyway, should we say, <laughs> um, if we think about the positives of what we, I know we've kind of touched on a bit of it and it was quite interesting today when you see the reaction on Twitter. So there was a lot of people kind of getting on their high horses, calling out others for being, um, hypocrites for kind of reflecting and celebrating KR's reign in, in a sense and talking about some of the great times but and then saying oh you were digging him out and being really toxic the previous week and everything else but I don't I think that's reasonable you know as you said we're in a place where we needed that cut we needed a fresh start and everything else and I think it's fine KR has done you know as things stand I know he leaves the club in a very similar situation to where he found it but in between there's been some incredible football endless amounts of goals scored at times some of the best runs we've ever seen um and all the stuff and it's been widely publicized and we've definitely talked about it before how kr dealt with covid um how much of an advocate he was and has been for mental health especially during that period when there were no fans in the grounds and then john all the stuff around losses of players joey mickey lewis jim smith he handled all that stuff expertly didn't he and there was I would argue I haven't seen any other manager kind of get himself that engaged in the community at least not at Oxford no for me it was it's a big part of the journey I've I've gone on I think we probably all have with with KR that I remember when he first joined and he was I think it was Les Robinson's testimonial and he was coming out with these lines about oh, oh I'll get my boots out but if I'm not required I'll be in the pub and you know it was all sort of just chatting a load of like I just thought it was just sort of play to the fans bullshit really and I was like okay here we go and then you sort of fast forward through times and then he handles you can just tell there were more and more signs of how he really did care about the club and he wasn't a manager that was just here to go I'm just here to manage the football couldn't give a toss about what the community academy's doing so I think he did brilliantly handle those moments I thought that the way he handled Jerry Beecham was a step above what I'd expect yeah, someone to to do it. It was like he'd watched, you know, it was like he'd watched all those videos that we all watched or times we've seen him play, um, and that's an important thing that definitely needs to go down on his sort of, you know, slate. Yeah, when we when we look back at it. So, it, Jack, are you in a similar place? Because I, I John reflects. I I have a similar reflection where KR first started. I remember even when we first started this pod. It's funny to think we've only ever done this pod in the KR era. I was just saying at the start, this is our first Um, podcast managerial sacking. Exactly, yeah. But um, he used to always talk about being, he's a custodian, He's the fans will outlast him and all that stuff. And we weren't sure, were we, at the beginning? But yeah, he's he's definitely done his bit. Yeah, I I think ultimately... Sadly, football managers generally, when they are remembered for their last few months prior to leaving a club, and as I mentioned a bit earlier, a lot of the time they're leaving a club because the on-pitch results have been not good enough. But 
you have to look at a manager's entire time in charge of a club. And we've definitely had way more highs and good points than we have low points. That being said, it, it feels like all the low points under KR have come back to back to back to back. And yeah. you know, there's reasons for that. There's various noise about things and all the rest of it. But I don't see how you can criticise someone for saying, hold on a minute, we've had five years of this bloke in charge. Let's just reflect generally. You don't reflect on six months, you reflect on the full time in charge and, you know, it's ended painfully for everyone involved. I'm sure, you know, Carl tonight's feeling gutted, but he did a pretty damn good job for the club overall, I think. Yeah, and most of the animosity was directed, there was a few idiots directing some stuff at KR and people around him and stuff like that, but most of it was just generally directed towards the club and the board about making the right decision for the club at the right time based on the context of where we're at. I mean, um, the, the board are kind of, I feel like they've, they were heading towards the, the precipice of serious doubt starting to be cast on their ability to, to do what they need to do. I think, I think it's, again, they're, they're almost a, we look at, we've looked at them through a massive lens over the last six weeks and we probably need yeah. to dial back again and look at that. Well, actually, what have they done? since they've come in um and what are your guys favorite kind of memories in terms of uh results performances runs that type of stuff if you had to pick pick a few out i know we whacked a few in the in the notes but there's a lot there i'm just keen to hear kind of top three i think for me sheffield wednesday away james henry late winner just because we deserved that that day. We'd gone to, you know, what were the, a giant of, you know, English football historically, but certainly League One at the time. And, and we, we deserved it this season. Yeah. Just well, no, it's well, weird, yeah. It? It's weird it, that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back to that performance and the run Wednesday have gone on. Have they even lost since? No. We should have absolutely battered them. Second yeah. half. Anyway, um, sorry. So, no, no, you're right. Sheffield, yes. Sheffield Wednesday away, the, the, the Henry winner. And then I think two just huge away wins that, Luckily, I managed to be at both the 6-0 Lincoln, which was just... Oh, great day. I mean, incredible. And that's the kind of thing you get home on the night or you go into work on the Monday and someone goes, oh, I saw you lot won 6-0 at the weekend. And you can be like, yeah, that's my team. I'm proud of it. You know, I'm going to celebrate this. And then the 7-2 at Gillingham, as much as there was four pence from Brannigan, just to, you know, we've not, I've not seen that for ever supporting Oxford. Um so you, you have to look back at those things and just think that, you know, we've had some bloody good moments. On, on the Lincoln game, the story, the thing that cropped into my mind earlier was, so me and my friend from London came up for that Lincoln game and we had specific train tickets booked to go back to Leeds after the game. And I remember he turned to me in the stand at, after the game and was like, we can't get that train in 20 minutes back to Leeds. <laughs> we've got to stay in Lincoln for a couple of hours and just soak this up and sort of drink it in, which we literally did drink it in um, with a few beers. And uh, that guy who threw the... Uh, <laughs> a box oh, the curry that. chucker at the curry policeman. Chucker. Yeah, that was entertaining. Um, I just feel like... That, I just remember plenty of runs when the momentum felt great, when you know, we went to Ipswich and won one nil away. Um, I remember you and I watching Plymouth away during the COVID times when we won 3-2. Oh, the Sam Long, Casu. Yeah, and I remember that was, we were both like almost starting to fall out with 
football because it was just the times and it was just brought some hope back. Um, so that, that was sort of a, a you, massive thing. And you know that that 6-0 Lincoln win was, I think, I think we went 15 games where we only lost one, one in 15, and we won... I think eleven of those of the matches around around that period, and we that also included. Um, do you remember when we just kept on winning three 0 every week at home? Yeah, we like consecutive games. We I mean, it was awful. We were often three 0 up by half time, and that became quite normal for us. And it, it just showed like that momentum. Do you remember that also coincided with the that two one win that we referred to away at Rotherham? Do you remember the Matty Taylor header? I think it was. Yeah, and. Um, Four nil away to South End. I mean, we never beat South End, ever. Who? What's his name? Ryan Hall, the guy that always used to score against us. He still haunts me in my nightmares. But um, well, even even like, I mean, it was painful the first KR season until we sort of got rolling towards the back end. But there were some really nice wins in that. that I remember enjoying. Um, probably going to get my seasons wrong, but the first half of last season when Herbie Kane was just sort of playing like a Rolls Royce and it was just, it was just really good football. And I think Jack, you made it very well on our WhatsApp groups earlier. It's like for the most of this period, you could go to a game and think, I'm probably going to enjoy this in some form. And without doing this out of a podcast, I think at times we forget that you want to go and be entertained. And yeah. I'm, and I'm holding my hands up. I'm the first one going, well, the problem with chaos style is there's no plan B and teams can shut us down and this and that and poking some sort of aspects of it, which I think is brought, come to the reason why chaos ultimately not the person to take us forward anymore. But you do yeah. forget that you just need to go and enjoy it. And that, the fin- just going um, chronologically through some of this, but that COVID season, do you remember the finale, Jack, where... We had a crazy amount to get, like four games in 11 days. Because they, if you remember, they batched the games really closely together to try and get them played. Um, so we beat Wimbledon 5 0, beat Ipswich away 1 0. Was that the Matty Taylor? It must have been, mustn't it? Matty Taylor goal. And then Accrington at home, Southend at home. And then we had that Shrewsbury away game. Was that the Raffles? winner because that was yeah, the point of the game that was the yeah. last one but just remember that was just unbelievable to be on that ride finish the season with five wins and then scrape through into the playoffs and obviously you know we end up Pompey and then Wickham I was remembering a game I think it was during Covid times it definitely was because I imagine we'd have gone it was away at Doncaster and we lost 1-0 ultimately but it was some of the best football we played. It was like ultimate, absolute ultimate football. Um, and for like 80 minutes, we were just, it was like two teams absolutely just going at each other. And I remember enjoying that game immensely, even though it didn't actually, well, it was a loss and it, it didn't mean for much. But to have that in our repertoire was just so heartwarming. Yeah, absolutely. And then even the 2021 season, similar runs where it's kind of one loss in. 15, 14, 15 games again with within that run, that 5-1 demolition of Burton away where they were really struggling. That 4-3 four, four, win against Rochdale, Jack. The Shodders halfway line special. Does yeah, that I think and that was, that, was that still in some kind of funny lockdown period? I, like, just COVID into 
late 2020, early 2021, you're right, the amount of goals we were scoring, you've got it on the screen. Like, it's just nuts. Yeah, because that, that Plymouth nuts. game that we were talking about, three or four games before that, that was the first one where some fans could come back. So there were actually some Plymouth fans in the ground. So yeah, Rochdale would have been a similar yeah. kind of thing. And then as we finished up that uh, 2021 season, we obviously matched that Lincoln away win at Crew. That was when Brandon Barker like ran the whole way down the pitch and scored didn't he, from the left. But th- listen to like the run of games here, and you talk about goals scored. Scored six against Crew, four against Rosebury, three against Gillingham. That three two was mega. I think Andy Cherry was referencing that one, wasn't he? That was the one where Sam Long got two goals, and we were losing to Gillingham until that just really kept, late on. Kept it alive, didn't it? Kept it alive, yeah. And then uh, three against Plymouth, three against Shrewsbury, another three two away to Shrewsbury in consecutive seasons. That was the one where was it Aji scored really late on. Um, and then we won 4-0 on the final day and crept in because that was where Aki beat Pompey, wasn't it? Um, last day of the season. And then we snuck in and obviously Blackpool battered us. But still, consecutive years of getting in the playoffs. And, and I, know up- we're, I know we're in positive space, but for me, that Blackpool playoff loss was a massive low. And we didn't do anything off the back of that. But let's go back to the positives. <laughs> no, no, to be, but to be fair, that was, you get fans calling up Radio Oxford, don't you, that refer to that moment where we got kind of bullied and battered and it showed us up. And then to your point, that was a bit of a, okay, so how do you adjust the squad so we can go that step further and get the... It's kind of character. It was noticeable Blackpool had a bunch of characters and personalities yeah. on that pitch and we had no response to it at the time. It- it, yeah, that, and it feels like that was the moment where he should have learned where yeah, we were exactly. lacking, and everything he said suggested he'd learned. But what has played out since he, he didn't, and I, yeah, I think you're right. Arguably, you could say he's never quite had his method in his mind since that moment. Yeah, I think that reflects chaos management, and to a degree possibly his personality and he's and he said it himself his his ego you there is never going to be a a sort of complete philosophy strategy that he'll stick to no, no matter what um but you do get you get some ups and you get some downs and they're pretty extreme either way and even just going back to last season we had runs of games where do you remember the 3 2 v wednesday at home where Hol- no, that was Sam Winhall. Sam Winhall, yeah. And then that following that was that seven-two away to Gillingham. You mentioned then that one all away to Wigan, which was that gritty. Jack, you mentioned that goal, didn't you? That um, Taylor scores as a, a yeah. big highlight. That was excellent, wasn't it? Sykes down the left and then cutting in, and then um, Pompey then beating Pompey three-two at home, which was another one of those late. Didn't Holland score in like the ninety-fourth minute after Cambran got one of his barnstormers just before and then um later on in the season beating charlton four nil away we've referenced that i think yeah i think the four nil at charlton was suddenly for me where i was like oh hold on a minute yeah maybe maybe he has managed to find a formula that works here baldock had come in on a as a free agent and him and taylor clicked straight away and i think we we won the next two games um that cambridge one two like after that was the joey 
match. Sam Smith scored first, shushed the crowd a bit or whatever, and then Baldock again notched in that. And it, it seemed like everything was on the up and we had a real shout again, didn't we? And then, yeah, you look you look further down that list and you go into the three defeats in a week against Plymouth, Morecambe and Sunderland. And maybe, actually, that that's the real moment it turned because off the back of that kind of collapse in the playoffs, adding in the recruitment from this summer, it's really only gone in one direction. That, 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 league, that league was tough and almost unluckily so. And that's another reason this, this league is not tough. And that's another sort of, you know, nail in the coffin point, I suppose. But we were, to Jack, I actually agree with Jack, though. Those three, we were on a, a massive high where we'd won five out of six with the kind of the 4 nil away at Charlton in the middle of that. We drew one all at Ipswich, which was that McNally equaliser in the 94th minute where we played crap. And you were thinking, right, we're still not losing. And then, yeah. Losing those three games in a week just destroyed that playoff charge. And if we'd have got a win or four points out of that, then we'd have had a real chance. Do you remember we went to Rotherham away, penultimate game of that season, and we scored? Didn't we got there was an own goal in the first 15, 20 yeah, we, minutes? We went ahead and went and ahead. That, that's moment, you know, that was sort of moment of truth. And do you, remember, do you remember being on the pod reflecting on the 45th plus? Four minutes when Rotherham equalised and we just didn't clear the ball, so and it's Herbie, like Herbie Kane sort of just didn't put his foot through it. And and I, I do agree with Jack. Like I honestly think it's that that run of games at the end of last season to kind of knock us out and then build a bit of again people reservations about KR and his decision making and everything else. Like to lose, well, to only win two out of the last kind of what is it? eight games of, of last season really was the thing that started a bit of a downturn. I think um, the, the expectations that were laid out for this season, I think are an enormous part of why we have ended up where we have. Parking, yeah. in fact, the last seven games performances have been absolutely ridiculous, but the expectations were sky high. Yeah, it's the compounding effect, isn't it, of that that slide that broke the playoffs last year, the recruitment in the summer various things that have gone on off the pitch exits that have started to stir people's opinions negatively. And I think we said before, once you start losing an element of the fan base, you don't get them back. So when performances then um, performances and results turn to, you know, nothing, you've then got the double whammy of you've lost some people anyway, and then you've lost more through the results and, you, you know, this was never, even if we'd have won yesterday, next three games, we'd won them. There's still an amount of the fan base that would never have come back on Robinson's side, yeah. which is why, you know, this this decision had to be made. And I think we've all touched on it, probably should have been made three or four games ago. Yeah. Um, we haven't even mentioned beating West Ham 4-0, just tearing them apart. A strong West Ham side, the Man City game where we pegged them back, the Newcastle FA Cup games where drew nil-nil at their place and then took it to extra time and you know, there's been some amazing times. I saw James Roberts on um, ex-Oxford Mail, James Roberts. He mentioned earlier that uh, the KR made United a top club in League One, playing some great football, and that should have been his legacy. But obviously that legacy has now been clouded by the last few weeks. And that just kind of adds to your point just there, Jack, that the longer this decision's gone on, and it's not KR's decision to make, is it? That's the thing. It's kind of had a negative effect 
on his um, kind of pedigree in a sense. But, you know, there's a lot, as as per what we've just re- re- kind of gone through there, there's a lot of good stuff that's come out of the last five years. So, I mean, very, very quickly, it's not hypothetical, but how do you think he gets, what response do you think he gets when he's in the opposition dugout? Now, there's all sorts of factors in you can say, well, it's, if it's next year, it's different. But what would you say generally? Uh, I think... There is an element of the fan base who, as we've seen in the run, will go after him in an abusive kind of anti-Car Robinson way. But I think you get that with every manager. We had it with Wilder when he came back with Northampton. You know, there that there is just that element of football really where if you're not an Oxford player or manager, you are the enemy. Therefore, you get it. I think I personally I think for what he achieved at times he deserves you know the kind of mutual respect thing um but I'm I'm not concerned but I don't think he'll necessarily get it which in my opinion I, isn't right I I personally would give him a good reception yeah for everything that he's done well I even on on and off the pitch but especially the off the pitch that's what really pissed me off about some of the the really personal stuff thrown at him, especially Burton away when we were in that terrace, is because he just deserves he deserves respect for what he's done for the club and the people around it. And it was just more I know m- most of those lads are you know up and coming Oxford fans, let's say. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It was it was very difficult to hear. But he just he definitely deserves um, respect and a reasonable reception. Um, from my point of view, I know it's subjective, but where where do where do you think he goes now? Out of interest, John, starting with you, what do you what do you think? I'm I'm I've put my thing on the table where I'm convinced his next job will be at MK Dons, and they'll see it as the the homecoming. Um, uh, I mean, I've always said I I don't think many championship clubs go near him because while his record is isn't actually without being too brutal, he hasn't achieved an enormous amount over his managerial career in terms of promotions. And also he comes with this sort of loose cannon slash kind of aspect to him. He's not a sort of polished, you know, media um, manager, but you can look at what he's done with sort of playoff finishes. I think some championship clubs might start to possibly shortlist him. And there's all this sort of stuff about, you know, he was on the final list for QPR more recently. He, he was on that though not that long ago wasn't yeah i'm um, sorry yes yeah, so, so not not qpr just gone as in qpr yeah. before that as in back in the summer um i still think he's one where he, he gets to he gets to the management championship when he gets a league one team promoted so i don't know but i don't know which team yeah if I, yeah mk probably does um but i don't know what do you reckon jack i don't think anyone in League One in their current state of play would take him currently because his most recent kind of record is dismal, I suppose is the word. Um, I wonder if there's a geographical factor around Tranmere, um, if he fancied a move back to kind of home-home, so to speak. Um, And I think they will be looking for a new manager in the summer, so having a break for four or five months and, you know, potentially going in there fresh and raring to go might work for kind of every element of his life. Um, 
But otherwise, I suppose, like John said, you know, he's only got the one promotion under his belt in a lot of managerial games. So I don't think teams who want to be in the top end of League One, after how it's ended with us, immediately think we appoint and we get promoted. Maybe someone like a Lincoln, a mid-table League One side who want to push push on a bit, perhaps. But yeah, I, if I had, if I had a fiver to put on, I'd say he might end up at Tranmere in the next few six months. Fair, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, okay, so what now, guys? Like, <laughs> who do we, who do we bring in to replace Robinson? When do we bring them in? What do we need? Um, backroom staff is the other thing, Jack. What What are your general thoughts on how you think it should play out versus what you think will happen? I think best, best case versus expected case. <sighs> Well, I think ultimately the position we are in, in the league table and where we are in the season, it's a really awkward time to make an appointment because we need someone who can come in and have an impact immediately. Like we, James Henry's referred to it, we've referred to it. We don't have the time. A manager will not have the time to come in and go, oh, he's quite good as a fullback. I could play him there. I'll try this against this team. We need almost that firefighter approach now. But looking at who's available and and those who've had success in this league, I think they're all kind of project managers. They'd need, ideally, they'd want to come into a club like us, safely in mid-table, see the season out, sort it out in the summer. So it's, it's the kind of two parts of this. We get someone in who drags us over the line to the summer and we have a longer-term appointment that comes in in the summer. I'm now about to completely... <laughs> go back on that I, I would like Liam Richardson and having just looked at some of his stats earlier I'd forgotten that he actually saved Wigan from relegation when he first went in into League 2 the year after they came down from the championship having had points deducted and had no players and all the rest of it and then obviously the following season he built a squad that albeit with a lot of money behind it um, went and won the league so he'd be my shout although I know it doesn't quite fit with what I've said that is almost a two-part process to this John, what do you think about the backroom staff situation as well? Because that, that's something, I know Jack's definitely mentioned it before, where you, you think about, are they League One quality, especially when you're looking further up the table? It, it feels like it would only be healthy to rebuild that part of the club um, as well. It's some In some ways, it's more long-term infrastructure to a degree. Because we're probably in a space where, as we Jack's touched on, we need someone who can come in, grab the players by the scruff of the neck, organise the defence, tighten them up a bit, sort of make it do some some of that stuff that means we not lose, means we're not losing games, and we might nick them or we might we need to start picking up results. So, yeah, of course we need a new head of recruitment with Mark Thomas leaving. I don't buy into the sort of fast obsession some people have with directors of footballs I think that's a sort of a, yeah. a thing that if you're not inside a football club you can't really comment on um, so I don't kind of get too bogged down with that stuff um, yeah but you've got a question as a natural turnover some of the coaches at our club have been around for a while so there's got to be a degree of you move on with certain managers or you're somewhat attached to them so that seems to make to make sense. Sadly, I think, and I, I, yeah, I, I'd like the kind of, the sort of 
someone comes in, changes the dynamics, saves us, and then we go and in the summer get a more sort of progressive, you know, long-term project manager. Given the situation we're in and the fact it's taken us probably three or four games too long to make this decision, I think we're going to have to just basically sacrifice that and get someone in who can keep us in League One. Yeah. If we have to give them an 18-month contract, then we have to give them an 18-month contract. Um, that's are, there any, are there any names that are jumping out to you? Um, again, like, I don't really... I, none of them... I'm, I'm not really interested in nailing and personally nailing my name to a, a name. Um, I just think... I think we're just going to have to be someone who can come in and stop us from getting relegated. Um I don't think we should get sidetracked by Chris Wilder and possibly to a degree Michael Appleton is a bigger fan. As I, th- I think Andy. Appleton's not that um, ridiculous though on a short term thing. I don't think it's ridiculous because I think the majority of the fan base would get behind it. However, if we remember how slowly we started yeah, he, under he, him he previously, needs, yeah, we haven't got that time. We just don't have the time for this to be yeah, but- a slow start. Especially with we keep mentioning it, the April fixtures, we can't be relying on that for it to all. It it doesn't feel Gary Wadicky though. This in my head is in. I don't know. I don't know. I I still I feel like there is a reasonable chance we'll get relegated at this point, but it's still. I still. I would say we're still odds on to stay up. I I don't go. I'm not worried about that sort of signings yet. Coming back to the point of. Because of some of the players, a lot of players in the squad are quality. I can absolutely see that team in a couple of weeks' time be unrecognisable from where they were for the last couple of games. Because there is the quality in the squad; they're not a bunch of bad players that someone needs to just make them into a formation that all scraps and results. That's why I'm not worried yet. I, th- I but, think on on that point, though, Carl Robinson going doesn't fix this season. Yeah, like we we. As fans, and we've been here before, we ended up in the conference. Saturday, Lincoln, those that are there need to be right behind everyone from the start. Because, granted, it's still, you know, whilst the points are on the board, you, you're you always nervous about games in hand and the fact we have to play three of those teams below us. And, so... and also, that, like, again, until this new person does come in, Craig Shaw, Leon Blackmore, such, Wayne Brown. All of their coaching methods, the way they think about tactics, everything else. There's not going to be any mix-up in any of that. I, I'm genuinely, and that's why I think it's down to the players. Fun completely. Yeah, it now. absolutely is. It absolutely um, is. Who's I mean? Who would you? If you would you nail your name to a name? If that's a... no, I, I, I kind of I like what how Jack talks about Liam Richardson. I think I'm not. I don't think Danny Cowley's a good idea. No, I've quite liked Lee Bowyer in the past. Neil Critchley, yeah. um, I think, would be a good appointment. Nathan Jones is unrealistic. I, I feel. Um, <laughs> or some is it Neil Warburton? Is that his, um, I would have oh, had Mark, Neil Warnock. Mark, Mark Warburton. Yeah, he seemed like, but he again, he seemed like a project manager. Gary Bowyer. I mean, I'm now talking about names that I still wasn't bothered <laughs> about. But Neil Warnock would have been great because he just cut. He goes into clubs now for like three months. And then disappears. Then says he's retiring and comes back again. Exactly. Then talks about his wife on Talksport, and then but his his mantra of "You got to die to get three points." You know that's what we need. You need someone that's going to terrify the players. You need a bit of Yorkshire grit, maybe. Anyway, um, are you inferring what, that we should take a role? 
I'm not sure. I don't really think we classify completely as, as true Yorkshire. Yorkshire great. No, no, we're not. Um, is there any specific thing in the squad or in the lineup that you think this manager needs to focus on? In, in my head, it's about some consistency of starting eleven, and we haven't had any of that, have we? But is it too late in the season to find? Like, if someone comes in, they're going to have to try and work out what that is there's no time like I mean, it's going to be the, 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 the ultimate thing is we need to be made hard to beat quickly as yeah. in to just be solid you know if we have to quote shit house our way to a few one nils between now and the end of the season I don't care it's about staying in this league and if we have to do it the not pretty way then go and do it if that's Stuart Finley blocking a shot of his head on the line laying down with you know just do what we have to do to stay in this league and we can reset properly in the summer. And stop pissing about with Carl, Carl Joseph and Marcus Brown as a number 10. Like, they're yeah. not number 10s. Like, just kind of almost, it's yeah, put them players where they absolutely click into and worry yeah. about the rest. Um, okay. I think that's enough said on general <laughs> management <laughs> situation. Hour and 15 in. Uh, we've got uh, Lincoln on Saturday so they're on an interest I thought their form looked crap when I initially kind of pulled up their results but then I realized actually technically they're just drawing a lot of games so they're actually unbeaten in the last seven of which they've won two drawn five um not the hardest run of results mind you but um yeah Jack what what do you think about how we're going to get on against them well, they so they haven't lost at home yet this season. Really? However, they've played fifteen and drawn twelve wow. of those fifteen home games. So they've only won three at home. So it's the classic stat you can spin both ways. Oh, they've not lost at home this season. Then you go, yeah, but they've only won three times. Um, they don't concede very many, but they don't score very many. So you can see why they're drawing a lot of games. Um, I don't know. I, we've not known what to expect this season <laughs> from a manager we've had for five years, yet alone, you know, a, a, a new week, a potential new type of approach. I'm just glad we've got five days to prepare under the kind of interim staff rather than them wait until Tuesday to sack him or something. You want you want a reaction, don't you? If it's not a reaction, then the trouble is bigger than perhaps we think it is. Yeah. Okay, last time out early this season, we it was actually something that John reflected on earlier where I think we played pretty well at home against Lincoln. Uh, they scored two goals. They were 2-0 up at half-time. That Scully guy that always seems to score against us scored. I think that was his only goal of the season as well. Um, yeah, but they, but they were match. like classic goals from 25 yards out. Eastwood easily beaten stuff. Yeah, but then we, we were unlucky to lose that game from, from memory. But... Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big one again. It just we just want to get those points on the board as quickly as possible, don't we? So the the run of games that we've got coming up, we should mention Shadipo's there, isn't he? That worries me a bit. He's got what one goal in seven games based on based on the notes, but um, yeah, we we've all reflected on what's coming up in April. Uh, we know it's going to be tough. We got Peterborough Wednesday, Port Vale away, Bolton, Pompey, Barnsley. So it means that we need to really think about getting a result against Lincoln. And then we've got a double header uh, towards mid to late March where we've got Morecambe and then Cheltenham. 
those two games feel absolutely massive, right? I mean, I, I'm sort of starting to sound like a broken record, but what I would feel confident about against Lincoln is the pressure is off from a, there is an overhanging force that is under serious pressure and you need to do what that manager is telling you to. And this is where you would hope the quality comes through from a Brannigan, from a Bate, potentially from a McGuane and a like. And it's kind of down to them to go, right, we'll make this happen ourselves. They're not there having the emotions and the pressure of someone else driving onto them. That's why I feel, because we have the quality, that we can get something against Lincoln, because ultimately our players are better than theirs. Admittedly, I don't know their players in the ins and outs, but it just feels like we generally have better players looking at their squad. So yeah. I'd have some degree of confidence on that basis. Okay. Predictions, Jack. What are we doing? I know you said it's going to be easy to predict. I think we'll get a point. I think we'll get a point of an improved performance and there'll be a real sense of, right, optimism. John? I think we'll win. Oh, excellent. Thank God for that. Yeah. We need that. Why not? I'll uh, I'll go with a 1-0 clean sheet. I was going to go 2-0 <laughs> clean sheet. So the first the first clean sheet in 50-odd games. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. What are we doing? I, I just think, you know, something's got to give at some point, doesn't it? Um, really just so interested to see the lineup that's put out. Um, whether or not it's kind of like Brannigan, even himself, and any of the players that are the more senior players that are helping to recommend a way to set up or whether it is left to what you could argue is quite an... an, I know Craig... Obviously, Craig Short's been around a long time, but I would be interested to know if the players would have any input towards it. Do you think that's nonsense? Or do you think that could be a thing? I'm just... No, I think think senior pros are often lent upon in in times like this. Baldock, Henry, they've been around. They've seen, you know, everything there probably is to see in football. So they may may get a nudge for their opinion. Yeah. And when you look at the actual league table, because we didn't really reference it earlier, we just not su- not surprising. It's not delightful to look at, but it, it's more the games in hand, isn't it? That's the scary thing. So we got three Accrington twenty uh, first. Um, so just on, they're just within the relegation spaces, but they're at five points behind us, but with three games in hand. In fact, every team underneath us, Bar Forest Green, who are pretty much done and dusted. Um, well, they pretty much are, yeah. Um, have games in hand but we all know the situation win a couple of games and then things will look rosier confluence will hopefully be flowing it's got, yeah but, but it's this month it's got to be this this month as well it does yeah um okay as jack said earlier everyone needs to get behind the boys i'm going to try and make it to lincoln last minute thing but um hopefully there'll be a good attendance there and if you can as we said right at the beginning get yourself along to the youth cup game support the boys there taking on um the might of man city but yeah what a, no matter which way that result goes i'm sure it'd be a great experience seeing the team there um and yeah when will we be back post lincoln maybe i don't know who have we got after lincoln and how is it again saturday saturday yeah derby at home after lincoln oh yeah we were going to go to that weren't we I'm just. I'm excited to see who's going to come in. Right. Yeah. 
Well, it's just, yeah. Maybe we'll have to do an impromptu pod again when an announcement's made. We'll have to see. Right, thanks, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week, and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.